as one of the top affiliate marketing companies worldwide, ShareASell helps connect businesses with the consumers who want their products. If you're interested in making money by promoting the brands you love, or you have a business and want to increase your sales, ShareASell can help you reach your goals. Click the link in this week's episode description to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Chopa. So you may not know this about me, but I am a perfectionist. And the first time I was told I was a perfectionist, I really staunchly disagreed. I was like, no, I'm not a perfectionist. And um, unfortunately, the person who told me that was right. So that was a bummer. (laughs) I think part of the reason that I was so against it was because when I think of perfectionists, I think of like, everything is nice and tidy and everything has its place. And I am most definitely not like that. My apartment is a mess. My life is a mess. Um, But for me... It, perfectionism is more of like an all or nothing kind of thing. Um, so I'm I'm working on overcoming that and embracing the nuance of it all and recognizing that even if like it's not all the way, it doesn't mean that it's garbage. Um, but all that to say, I had my um, instructor assessments this week for pole, burlesque, and chair. And as I was driving there, I was like, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? I'm going to fail. Everybody's going to hate me. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just like really anxious and stressed about it. And then when I got there and I actually started doing it, like I had so much fun and I loved every minute of it. It brought me so much joy. And it was so fucking cool seeing everybody's routines that they put together and the little spins that they put on on all the moves. I loved it. So that's all to say, like, sometimes, sometimes it's scary to think, what if I fail? But more often than not, you're going to find that it's so worth it to do the thing that you're afraid of, to do the thing that, yeah, you might be bad at, but you can still try and see how it goes. And, um, yeah, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I, that I went, that I didn't let my fear get the best of me. I'm grateful for all the other women who participated in the training and for um, for the owner of Miss Pole and for Ashley, our instructor. Like, it was just a really fabulous time. Um, so yeah, that was, that was exciting. I did that last weekend. But let's talk about diet culture. I think that perfectionism plays into a lot of like how we eat as well, where like, You know, we eat a chocolate chip cookie and we're like, fuck it, I might as well eat 12. And that's not for everybody. Uh, I think that's a big fear for a lot of people. And um, yeah, so diet culture is, is a big problem. And like, it's everywhere in our society. And really, I think that as a people, we have 
grown into a species that does not listen to our intuition. We buy watches that tell us how many steps to take in a day. And then we can feel shame when we don't reach the allotted goal. We expect, um, we expect dietitians to tell us exactly what to eat and what not to eat. And even, you know, it, it starts when we're kids. And I bring this up in this episode that we go to school, we're told when we can go to the bathroom, we're told when to eat, what to eat, how much time we have to eat. And so our distrust of our body starts at a very young age. And I would love to see more of us get back to our intuition. And that's actually a goal of mine for this year. I chronically overthink things, um, as as evidenced by the whole <laughs> thinking I was a failure before I even got to the training. Um, and so I'm trying to listen more to my intuition and less to my my anxiety brain and focus on how things feel in my body. And um, that's that's really the basis of intuitive eating is figuring out what feels good for you and figuring out what's going to satisfy you. Because eating perfectly, working out perfectly, sleeping perfectly, like living a perfect life is not realistic. It's not. There are small changes that you can make. Like, for example, if, you know, Like you can make a goal to be like, oh, I want to eat more vegetables or like I want to try to eat more like plant-based foods. Like that's fine as long as like you're comfortable with the reasoning for why you want to do that. But again, like perfection should never be the goal for anything. There's always going to be room for improvement. Um, But yeah, diet culture is... Is, it's rooted in white supremacy, as most things are. It is really... Um, diet culture is dangerous. It's dangerous. I have so many friends who have experienced disordered eating because of diet culture. And because of anti-fat bias. And there's so much photoshop and like I get it like there I can pose my body in certain ways and make myself look thinner or whatever but I have seen one of the one of the most interesting things that I saw was someone got fillers in their hips because they didn't want like the hip dips right so like a lot of us have like where our essentially like our thigh meets our stomach um, on the sides it dips in a little bit and um, this person wanted like that perfect hourglass figure so they got fillers in their hips and I'm all for whatever you want to do to your body that if it feels good to you like I, I am not going to tell you what you can and cannot do with your body. I'm not. What I am asking is that if you do have cosmetic surgery such as that done, to be open and honest about it 
because a lot of it is just completely unrealistic for a lot of people, right? I have hip dips. I, it's just the way that it is. And I don't feel that I need to like exercise to get rid of them. I just need to nourish my body and move it in a way that feels good to me. And all that to say, I'm very interested in, in dismantling diet culture and labeling food as good or bad or right or wrong or healthy or unhealthy. It's just not helpful. And shaming people for what they eat or how they look is not helpful. In America, we have we have the like largest number of people who are on a diet and we have the largest number of people who are obese. Okay, in, in France, it's like the reverse. Like they love food and a lot of people like are not on a diet. They eat intuitively and they tend to be smaller than Americans. Because We've just gotten so far away from listening to our bodies and we set ourselves up with these expectations that we should only eat this certain amount. We should only eat these certain things. We should avoid these other things. And then when we can't live up to those unrealistic expectations, we feel shame. And then it just becomes a vicious circle of if I'm ashamed of myself, then I'm not going to take care of myself necessarily so I really enjoyed this conversation it was so fun um, to talk to somebody who also has a nutrition background so for those of you who don't know um, my, my bachelor's degree is in dietetics um, I am a registered dietetic technician um, which is essentially like a step below a dietitian and I truly feel like what I learned in school is focus like there's so much focus on BMI and it's really weight centric and it's just once you once you like look into different literature first of all let me start by saying that like BMI is absolute fucking bullshit so BMI was determined by um, someone who wasn't even looking at using it as a broad as a broad um, diagnostic tool. He got these numbers, these weights and these heights, and made up this whole BMI based on a very small sample size of European men. And, and, and again, he like did not have the intention. So I'm not, I'm not faulting him for this. Who I am faulting are the people who brought it up later, or I want to say it was like, uncovered and starting to be used in like the 70s and doctors started preaching it as the truth and applying it to women and people of color and people who are athletes and it's just not realistic it is not realistic I have had a small period of time where I was in a healthy BMI all my other numbers are fine I, my blood pressure is fine. My cholesterol is fine. Like uh, uh, all of it. So really like BMI is just a, another way to discriminate against people 
who are different from what the patriarchy and what what white folks who are in power want society to look like. Yeah, so I highly, highly encourage you to do your own research on BMI. And if you are considering starting a diet, ask yourself why. And really, really look within yourself. So I have included um, links to Dr. Lindo Bacon's book, Health at Every Size, as well as um, a website that will take you to a variety of intuitive eating books. Those two resources really like shaped my view on, on health and on body size and on eating. You can find those in this week's uh, podcast description. And also, I highly recommend following this week's guest. Um, she is a she is a registered dietitian who, much like myself, start you know went to school, learned that all about health in relation to being very weight centric, BMI, all that bogus bullshit. And she now is an is an advocate for food freedom and intuitive eating. And she helps others to find respect for their body and to release diet culture. And she is absolutely delightful. It was so fun for me to chat with somebody who who gets it. And I get really excited when I find someone who talks about health at every size and intuitive eating and tries to dismantle diet culture. Because I think that... There's so much being shown to us in society from the television, from Instagram, from Facebook, whatever, billboards. There's so much that is still perpetuating diet culture and anti-fat bias, even if we might not be aware of it. And every time that I come across something where, whether it's a a plus size model or a, a a person in a bigger body who is instructing others on doing yoga or it's somebody talking about food freedom and not saying eat this not that it it truly makes me so happy and it makes me hopeful that we will continue to move the needle on this topic please give a warm welcome to this week's guest sam cartina well, welcome, Sam. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Kelly, for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today and just let's let's do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I actually started following you on Instagram, and I think that's how I, I came across your work. Um, so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing. So I am a registered dietitian by trade. I, you know, did the traditional course to be a dietitian. And the reason why I bring that up is because a lot of my experience and training was very centered around, you know, weight management, uh, you know, a lot of things around like diets and how to help people, you know, manage chronic diseases. I, you know, worked in a clinical setting, the majority of my uh, practice as a dietitian and, which is funny because if you go to my Instagram, it's everything anti-diet and it's the exact opposite even of what I learned going into the field of dietitian, uh, I guess, training, whatever you want to call it, just schooling. 
Um, and that's really crazy. I'm sure you probably see more of it now than ever, which is amazing, the anti-diet message, but just truly ethically and even going through a lot of my own experiences on learning a lot of diet culture and healing my relationship with food, I knew just what I wanted to, to talk about, to share, to educate, you know, as a dietitian needed to be aligned with what I truly believe. And in all my messaging now, it's just, you'll see it even from like, if you go scroll all the way back from the start is you can kind of just see even me unlearning a lot of the diet culture mentality, unlearning a lot of the things the stigma and fears associated around food and bodies and all of that. Um, but that's a lot what I do now is just talk a lot about, um, abolishing just the diet mentality, helping people, you know, heal their relationship with food. So they find that peace and that trust with their bodies and truly just live freely about what other people think about their food choices. And if they're eating perfectly or not, you know, there's, there's way more things more important than, you know, are we super micromanaging our food versus, um, are we living, you know, a health promoting life, you know, in that way. So, um, yeah, it was a 180 from when I first started, but I'm so happy to like have found food freedom and to find like that space, at least on social media to talk about it. Cause you know, at first it felt like I couldn't really talk about it. I felt really shameful and private at first. Like, Oh, you don't really want to be that dietitian who doesn't believe in diets really going to talk about that. But now there's like so much more strength seeing other accounts and other people talking about it. And it's just been so great to, um, to be another, another voice in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Similarly to you. So I, uh, have my bachelor's degree in dietetics. Um, I'm actually a registered dietetic technician and I graduated in 2016 and it was, it was all weight management and BMI, which we know is complete and utter bullshit. And so it's like, yeah, I've also had to unlearn a lot of things. It's like, everything that we were taught kind of sucks yeah it really does <laughs> and like I know you know we always say like nutrition is a young science and like that's true but we also still need to be like making advancements and I feel like there's so much that's rooted in white supremacy essentially right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. patriarchy so Isn't how it crazy? You... It's like, just think about like everything that we learned, everything that we went through are even the exam that we had to take. We had to know like the BMI cutoffs. We had to know like, you know, certain diets and things. It's just so crazy that what we went through, we paid to go to school for, yeah. we paid to do all of this. And now it's like unlearning all of that and helping also society unlearn it too. It's just like, <laughs> once you unsee it, you know, it's like, how did you, what am I paying for? What am I paying my tuition for? I'm just teasing, but you know what I mean? It's like so crazy. It's so crazy to think back on. Yeah. Yeah. It's really bizarre to me that they're still teaching the exact same thing that they have been for so long mm -hmm. when like, we know like health at every size is a thing. BMI is not really rooted in good science and was never intended to be used for a broad yeah. range of people. Like, it's just, yeah, I get a little disheartened about it sometimes, but that's why I get so excited when I see creators like you who are really celebrating body diversity, body liberation, and food freedom, um, which brings me to my next question. How would you describe food freedom? Oh, yeah. So uh, 
that's a great question. Um, the best way I can like describe food freedom is truly just that like weight off your shoulders around food. It, it really like is liberating in the fact that you don't, we live so much in our heads when it comes to food, learning like diets and just seeing other people eat. There's so much in our heads around food. So like what I should eat or I shouldn't eat, when I should eat, when I should not eat. Am I hungry? Am I full? Am I thirsty? There's so much there in our heads and then taking up so much space and energy around foods, especially just like living in a, a, a society that is so weight centric and focused that, you know, you, it's so hard not to think about food in that way. It, you just pick up on it, even if you're not like intentionally dieting, but like that freedom you get from this because you unlearn a lot of those added pressures, a lot of those the stigma, the morality attached to foods, you know, it, it frees you up to truly like honor what your body needs and wants in that moment. It honors your, you know, cultural preferences, your, your religious um, preferences, your family tradition, you know, around food, your emotions around food. It just validates so much that you carry about food and just no longer stigmatizes it anymore. So you don't feel bad or shameful, or you have to make up for what you ate or do better the next time. It's like, you just free up a lot of that mental energies to focus on anything else that you really want to, you know, truly to focus on in life. And I think that whole freedom piece, it's just like, it's just so liberating. That's why I like to say it's like food freedom because you truly feel free around food and make those decisions and know that like, yeah, I can eat a meal. It doesn't have to be the most perfect meal ever, the most nutritious, like balanced, you know, meal ever. I can just eat a meal because that's what sounds good to me and it's satisfying to me in that amount at that time and just move on. And like, you know, it people say a lot of time, I was like, I just want to eat normally. And it kind of is like that, but also just in that sense of you know, just living a normal life because you're not constantly thinking about food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so hard to break that mentality, right? Like, I, I mean, just yesterday, I was having a conversation with someone. um, And she was talking about how she wanted to eat a certain way um, to change her body. And it was one of those spaces where I knew that she wasn't ready to like, hear the message of like, food freedom and body liberation. So I just had to like, silently sit there and like, nod my head and be like, Mm-hmm. I eat when I'm hungry like I eat what I like and it's it's really hard isn't it to not like automatically like shut people down when they're going into that oh my gosh Kelly I can relate to that so much because I so so often I have you know discovery calls or just like first consultation calls with people and the first thing that they say or maybe towards the end is like this is wasn't what I was expecting I wasn't expecting you to learn about my relationship with food. I was expecting you to tell me how to eat today mm-hmm. and what not to eat and just give me like that sense of I this is what I need to do. And in this process, it's like, that's not what we, that's not what we're focused on anymore. We're not here to, you know, somebody else telling you how to eat. We're helping you discover that for yourself. And like, yeah, people are not on board with it at first maybe they don't even realize it maybe they they like the idea of intuitive eating or food freedom but when it comes down to it it could be really hard to just kind of sit with like no one's going to tell me how to eat anymore that's hard yeah and i feel like uh 
it's a societal problem, right? Like from the time we are little, when we go to school, we're told when to eat, how much time we have to eat. You know, you are served this specific thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with like opening kids up to new experiences. But also like, let's look at school lunches. Like they're not the best in terms of like presentation, in terms of flavor, right? It's very bland and mushy and just not great. And so we we were trained not to listen to that intuition. And so I think it's hard because so many people do think, well, this person has all this knowledge. They have all the answers. And so they'll want like a detailed like diet plan. And I've never liked doing that because I'm like, well, sometimes, you know, I even make like my shopping list for the week and I'm like, oh, I thought I wanted chili. I don't really want chili this week. Like maybe I'll want it next week, but it, so I feel like it's so challenging because we are like trained in a way, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. You know, and we feel kind of that pressure to eat the chili because we said we were going to have it versus what do we really want instead? And it's like navigating that in between of, you know, do I miss, do I want the structure or what's going to happen if I don't have the structure? You know, am I going to go on the other side and just lose total control? Like there's so much to explore there and I find that nuance in, in this journey of, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to figure out for yourself, but how it is so like culturally and societally like normalized to have, you know, your parents and everybody, to, you know, tell you what to eat, when to eat, when your lunch break is, when your break to go to the bathroom is, it's like so much is being dictated for us that it's almost weird to think about it any other way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I get to decide for myself. Right. And I feel like it's created a distrust of ourselves, right? We have a craving and we're told to deny it. And so then we think about it all day and we try to satisfy ourselves with things that are not what we're craving just to eat the the damn thing anyways. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It just causes so much like undue mental stress and discomfort. Oh my gosh. I can't even tell you how many times, like personally, I was like, oh, I'm craving chocolate, but really, am I actually craving chocolate or am I craving something that is not chocolate, but my body's like, we we overanalyze everything. And it's like, you see it everywhere back in the day, like Pinterest would say, you know, oh, if you're craving this, you're deficient in this. So you should eat fruits and vegetables. Or if you're feeling hungry, are you really just thirsty? And it's like, you, you second guess your own self because you learned like ways to second guess yourself even more. So it's like, there's so many barriers to self-trust and there's so many barriers to, you know, feeling okay with trusting your body, even just in the experiences of if you're working towards, you know, um, the principles of intuitive eating or food freedom, it's like, it's so hard to unpack at the same time. We don't have very many experiences of us trusting our bodies to begin with. So it's totally understandable why I can feel just like, wait, what? You want me to just eat and whatever what I want? What? Like, it just, it sounds almost impossible at first, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what like advice do you typically give to people who are at least like considering leaning more into intuitive eating, listening to their body and like what it wants and what it needs? How do you walk people through making that shift? I recognize that they've already started. 
to mm-hmm. say that you're open to an idea, like a process of, you know, learning to trust your body again and not follow a diet plan. Or, you know, even if you're in that state of ambivalence of like, will this actually work for me? Do I really want to be dieting? I want weight loss, but I also do want food freedom. I'm not sure. Just acknowledging that that is happening for somebody that's huge. Mm -hmm. Because I know when it just in so many years of my life, probably the whole like 29 years of my life before I even started this process was like, what what are you talking about? You know, you almost you're so close minded to it that to say that you're open to this process is, is huge to say that you're exploring or, you know, thinking about it or learning about it. I think that's such a great thing. And, you know, I encourage people to learn as much as they can about it within, of course, not overwhelm yourself and you know, go down that rabbit hole, but follow your curiosity. What's it telling you? Like, cause I do believe like deep down, we all believe that like, we know what's best for our bodies. You know, at the end of the day, we just have to start, experiencing those little like glimpses of like oh I can trust my body I can trust my body and like that just kind of in those stages of like show me a time where you did trust your body oh I did okay you're already doing it you know just help reinforce that it is possible and help you know encourage that curiosity and help them you know just learn on their own a little bit because i think that's really helpful to you really don't know what's going on for that person especially if you're talking to them on social media or you know they're contemplating like working with you so allowing them to kind of guide themselves in that learning phase is so important because they're going to look for those those big answers themselves and i think once we can kind of like connect the pieces connect the dots if you will it's like okay it helps just remove a lot of those obstacles a lot of that fear that you know is so real at the beginning of this is like, is this really going to work? Or am I going to really be like that person who just, you know, will, will, uh, make this work as a diet for me. Like I'll be the one person that like loses weight on intuitive eating. There's like just so many skeptical, I guess, thoughts and, you know, also curiosity. There's, it's just, it's all entertained or intertwined. And it could be so hard at first to like walk someone through that, but kind of guide them a little bit down that path of like, go read this book, you know, check out this podcast or here, I did a post on this, like kind of help them to um, unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So I have kind of a guess at what your answer is going to be to this next question. But um, what, are typical barriers that you encounter with clients to becoming an intuitive eater? Oh yeah, uh, what, uh, just a few. <laughs> There's so many. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, I mean, the biggest one, oh, okay, the biggest two would be the loss of control. Mm-hmm. You know, that they would just lose all control and, you know, snowball from there, whatever that looks like for that person. And the other one is, you know, what if I can't trust my body? What if I did all this work and I didn't get anywhere, like failing at this? So I think both sides of it is, you know, I'm going to put all my effort into this and it's not going to work for me. But also in that sense too, that snowball effect of the worst case scenario, everything else is going to play out for them. I think that's like the biggest hurdle, but very important to acknowledge if that's how somebody is feeling, that they're aware of that. Cause we can, we can work through that. We can hold space for that. And, and, you know, there's, there's a need there mm-hmm. underneath behind that fear. Yeah. And do you think for a lot of people, like their idea of failure when it comes to intuitive eating is weight gain? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which, because I think it's interesting. Um, I feel like people are really able to like um, go all in on like diets and like fitness trends and things of that nature. But then when it comes to trusting your body, and again, it's because somebody's not telling you what to do all the time. That's when people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, no, we have all these gadgets. We have all these people. Dr. Oz tells me I should do this and that. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's I, it's just really interesting to me. Yeah. It, well, because when we do a diet, right, it's like we get, we're all in. We do this. We trust that somebody else knows the answer, that something different. You know, this will be different this time. This, this diet will work. And almost at the end of it, it's like we can blame that diet. And that's really great. That's really helpful to kind of use that as the scapegoat there. But like at the same sense, it's like, it's really scary that now it's like learn, like owning that, owning your, your whatever's going to happen to your body and, and, you know, everything else that happens in this journey. It's like, it's so hard because you can't control everything anymore. You're not given this like, you know, supposed plan or like process that people say, oh, it's going to work, whatever. But it's so hard to, to trust the uncertainty and, and trust that your body's got you. And, and especially when you've learned all your life that you can't trust your body, you know, listen to your parents to tell you when to eat and when not to eat and listen to this diet or, you know, take a, learn about nutrition, take a, become a dietitian and learn about it. Like how I did. Cause I, I didn't know enough about food and I, I was so obsessed with it that I wanted to learn everything there was to know about food. But it's a lot of that uncertainty. And that's like the hardest part is like, we don't know what's going to happen to your body. Mm -hmm. You might gain weight, you might lose weight. You might just stay the same, but we don't know. And that's like the hardest, like suckiest part of all of this. It just, Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any particular way that you kind of help people cope with that idea of like, we don't know what's going to happen as far as like, your weight and your body size like how because yeah I feel like that is such a big barrier like we know how far people are willing to go to be thin and it is scary and so I'm like wondering how you help people get more comfortable with that idea of like you might gain weight you might lose weight you might stay the same yeah I I think it really helps just to kind of go down memory lane a little bit, like what they know to be true, the experiences that they've had, you know, have they ever successfully lost weight before? And if so, how long were you able to keep it off? And and think about too, at, at what cost, you know, kind of thinking about the cost and the benefits of losing weight. Did it really give you that benefit that you were hoping? Did it really like make you feel the way you wanted to feel happy in your body? You felt enough, you felt good, you know, everything was great. Or was it the opposite, you know, just validating that it comes at a cost like anybody right right now you could, we have so much, I'm sure all of us have so much experiences knowing how to the diet, what food to eat, not eat, whatever. I mean, just we pick it up in our, in our culture. But at the end of the day, us wanting to lose weight, I, I truly believe that it is a deeper need that we're just looking to be met if it's, you know, just feeling worthy, feeling attractive, feeling successful at something, you know, feeling deserving, feeling enough, you know, finding that deeper, like, belief or that deeper, like, need of, like, this is going to give me that if I lose weight. I think that once we can kind of tap into that space a little bit, 
it really just helps with the healing process because we come we become aware that that was never going to lead us to there that was that our happiness our how we feel about our bodies is something we own that right but we have to tap into what is actually going to get us to feel that way about ourselves to care for ourselves to respect our bodies in that capacity but we have to we have to dig <laughs> we have to kind of like go down that you know un, uncomfortable area in our life of like our, our relationship with our body and i think that's like the hardest part of all of this is kind of just tapping into it when people hire you as a dietitian thinking you're going to just tell them how to eat and then move on it's it, it takes a deeper conversation that you know when we can get to it it can be so helpful to you know moving forward in this process and like holding space for the desires of weight change and that inner need but yeah it's it can get you know it can get pretty deep if but it's really helpful when we do because you can really just give yourself that space to feel it and and to kind of accept just like the uncertainty of like we don't know what's going to happen to our body tomorrow the next day in 50 years from now but you know what do we need truly as a human like what we were researching for through weight loss and how can we have that need met in another way that's really going to fulfill us and help us realize that we're so much more than a body that people love us for us not just what we look like you know just but if i just said that to somebody you know they're like oh okay yeah whatever but you have to help people kind of just through their experiences kind of find that you know what that need is yeah that's yeah. very deep <laughs> Yeah, no, but I think it's entirely true. And I think it's it's kind of interesting to look at it through that scope of like almost a coping mechanism. Like we we think about like people often use like food as a coping mechanism, right? Because it's something that we learn as as kids, a lot of us, um, but also like dieting as a coping mechanism. I guess I'd never really thought about it in, in that way before. I think that's really interesting. So I'm curious when did you kind of like shift away from the training that you had received in college to realizing that like we live in a very like toxic diet culture and things need to change because we're really not moving the needle as far as health goes? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know if there was like a definite like point. I think there was just like little glimpses of it, you know, over time. It was just like, listening so i used to work at a, a clinical hospital like working with heart transplant and uh patients with heart failure and, and making sure that they were going to get transplanted and have you know successful outcomes all that stuff we we're very focused on bodies and especially because of the surgery and everything but also you know maintaining their their health in this because they can gain and lose weight really quickly because of edema and you know pressure on their heart they wanted obviously you know, the doctors were really passionate about having a dietitian really help support them. So I was like, for sure, I'm all in on that. But then starting to hear doctors talk about people's body sizes, talking about, you know, oh, assuming because of their BMI that this person is not compliant or has lack of willpower, it just, and then denying people who are very, you know, so determined because there's a cutoff for BMI to get, you know, a heart transplant and the people are on that cusp and doctors would deny them on the cusp. And they were like the most compliant people I've ever seen. I'm like, what is going on because of the BMI? I'm like, you know, what the fuck, you know, like BMI is like 
is garbage. And yet you're denying this person a transplant because they're off by a number. I, I just remember getting so angry. And then I didn't realize just kind of like everything that I had been, you know, trained in and all of this is just so weight centric and not really the focus of the person. It's focused on the numbers, right? And it's like starting to see that and, you know, looking more into intuitive eating. I remember my colleague, we were talking because it was just like the holidays and she's like, oh my God, my aunt Karen, she kept talking about keto and she doesn't realize that I'm a neuro like dietitian and I have to help people, children with epilepsy follow keto. And it's like the hardest thing ever because they need it, right? That's their, their treatment plan. And yet here's aunt Karen talking about keto. Like it's the greatest thing. And she's like, I, and I, I showed her about the book intuitive eating. I'm like, what's that book? And she showed it to me and I read it. And I, oh my God, Kelly, I remember reading like the first like few chapters and my heart just like hurt. I was like, this is speaking to me, even though it, like it was never intended to be like for me. She was just like, oh yeah, do you have read it yet? You should read it. I'm like, okay. And at, once I read that, I was like, this, this is the truth here. Like, you know, once, once you see it, like this is truly how we need to be practicing as dietitians. This is really how we should all be approaching food, our relationship with food, you know, kind of dismantling diet culture, rejecting the, the value of thin above all else, like at all costs, people, you know, between surgeries and surgeries and prescriptions. And it's like so crazy to kind of like, I always think of like, it's like, that's a raven where like you, your eyes like pop up, you know, you like get that vision of like, wait, <laughs> what is happening around me? You're just like this, it just brought so much awareness. And, and that I'm so grateful for that, you know, just that moment of like, read this book. And again, that's why I was like so passionate about people learning on their own because we don't really know what's happening for the person and they might not even be aware of it yet, but when they can kind of start to unpack that and see what's really in the way and what beliefs are there, then we can really help them. But like, I'll never forget that reading that book. And then it started me down my own trajectory of, wait, what am I doing? I need to, I need to reassess what I'm doing too, because it, it just, you have to start with yourself before you can, you know, really help anybody else. But yeah, it was just all those little moments. But then the book, the intuitive eating book really did help me a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. That was actually how I was introduced to intuitive eating as well. Um, and it, it was kind of interesting. So before starting my own business, um, I worked for a corporate uh, wellness program. And I worked under a dietitian. I had worked with her before in a WIC clinic, um, oh, yeah. which, you know, WIC in and of itself, I'm like, good intention, horrible, horrible execution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, not a lot of intuitive eating going on there. Um, but yeah, she um, she was like, oh, we're going to like build this this lifestyle management program all around intuitive eating. And I read through it and I was like, this fucking speaks to me so hard i i liked it so much i got a copy for my boyfriend at the time like <laughs> i i have recommended it to everybody but what was interesting is she was like oh we're going to do this and then when it came down to it it was like she was halfway practicing intuitive eating mm. so she would say things like oh yeah, like people should be able to eat like what they want. But when they get to a certain point, they should also realize that like they need to make some changes. And I'm mm. like, no, because you can be healthy at any size. And so 
I feel like she had like her own things to break down and hadn't like done all of that work yet. But I feel like, yeah, that the intuitive eating book and then health at every size by Dr. Lindo Bacon changed my entire perspective. And like, yes. were, it, it was almost like made me angry that I had received this education that was just so wrong. Um, I know, (laughs) right. It's like disheartening. And then knowing that like others are still going through that is wild. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I feel that. I feel that. (laughs) Um, so I'm wondering, uh, if, if you're comfortable sharing, like what were some of the biggest hurdles that you had to kind of get over, to really be able to embrace intuitive eating and health at every size? Yeah. Um, yeah. The biggest thing I, I think because, you know, I got, I don't I don't even know how to even begin to describe this, but my identity was tied into my profession. A hundred percent. Everything I put my, you know, I put myself through college. I, did everything, did the internship. I, I got my DTR too because I was too nervous to get the internship. I got the internship, became a dietitian. It was going to be like the best dietitian ever. Like my identity was so tied into my work and what I was doing that like I thought I had to eat, you know, perfectly, like super clean and, you know, preach health, whatever that, you know, that means. But like on learning my identity attached to my profession of what that meant for me for so long was the hardest thing. My worth of like what I was doing on learning that. So then I could just be whatever, like however my body changed and like whatever I decided to eat, you know, be that person that can just, you know, not eat like the healthiest meal ever every meal to just being me and like knowing that I'm enough. I think that like, un tangling my identity with my profession of what I was like at the time and also what my you know disordered eating meant to me too at the time of I think that was like the biggest thing it's just once I was able to just kind of realize I had so much wrapped up in there and starting to find my, my true values and you know who I really am and what that means and I think that was like a really big like moment for me it just like I'm so much more than the foods I eat. I'm so much more than the body. I'm so much more than my like productivity and like, my career, you know, just kind of separating yourself from all of that. I think that was like the really big thing, but also like the hardest part too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can definitely like imagine how challenging that is when you've worked so hard for something and then you just kind of feel it like crumble around you. Um, so thank you for sharing that, Sam. That's I feel like there are so many people who are in that same boat um, who needed to hear that. So thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Yeah, it, it, it's so crazy to, to think about how much we tie in our worth, everything that we do and say. And, and yeah, I thought the what would people think of me? Would they take me seriously if they saw the way I ate, if I was preaching this non-diet approach, you know, but so grateful that there are so many other people like you and in the space and, you know, the intuitive eating book and everybody else who's, you know, come out and, and spoke on this too, because it helps find that strength of like, it's, <laughs> it's okay. This is normal, you know, kind of finding that freedom too in yourself of like, you're allowed to just trust your body and just be, you don't have to be this like fit into this little box of like, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think that we're starting to move the needle in the right direction. Um, you know, when we see brands like Parade and MeUndies and I, I, I love underwear companies, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but even like Athleta, um, yes. where we see real bodies. And that's not to say that like the standard model body isn't real. Like there are people who are built like that, but that's not the majority of people. Mm-hmm. And I think once we start to recognize that, I feel like if we at least acknowledge that not everybody is going to be thin, that's a fantastic place to start. And then from there, like you can build upon that to like following Instagram accounts like yours, like mine, like, you know, people who are mid-sized or in bigger bodies and who talk about health at every size and intuitive eating. That's a great start. And then also like recognizing that like there's so much anti-fat bias from like the chairs that are used places to airlines to how fat people are treated, not only Mm -hmm. by the public, but by the doctors who are supposed to be providing them with care. Yeah. There's so much of that. And I think a lot of it does come down to having to like do your own work and dismantle like your own ideas of what the human body is supposed to look like and what is considered healthy yeah yeah to stop seeing it as like you know that automatic bias like you see a body size and you already assume you know everything there is to know about them how they eat you know how they carry themselves are they lazy are they productive you know it's like it's so tied in because we just pick up on it. It's been just so normalized. But once we can kind of do that inner work of like unlearning our own biases, our own beliefs around bodies and health and so much around food, it's like, then we can really just be at peace and acceptance and, you know, celebration of other people and their, and and their bodies and and just connect more too on a deeper level with other people and stop thinking about just food and, you know, how I'm on a diet or whatever, like having real conversations because that's taking up less space. And you know that it doesn't say anything about a person, you know, when you, at the end of the day, it's like, everybody's different and that's okay. Health looks different on everybody. You can't just assume you know what's going on for somebody just because you look at them. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's so apparent. Like we all have that one friend who like eats whatever they want all the time, you know, like could eat Taco Bell three times a day, every day and still be thin. Like is, are they going to be like, what is considered like to be the healthiest? Probably not. Like, and, and they're thin. Whereas somebody who is in a bigger body might be eating lots of fresh fruits and veggies and, you know, cooking their own meals and things of that nature. And they might still be in a bigger body and they're perfectly healthy that way. And that's not to say that, like, there's not room for Taco Bell in every diet. I mean, fuck, I just had it last night. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about finding that balance and finding, like, what feels good to you. Um, Right. Which, again, is is really hard. But I'm grateful that you're out there doing that work to help people realize that like they're enough that they know what they need. And I think that's just so important. So I just want to thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you too, for talking about this. I think it's just, just normalizing, talking about our own experiences, talking about the stigma and the oppression that's happening. I mean, 
we can't just isolate anymore because we know what happens when we isolate it only fuels our own beliefs and biases and, and just even eating disorders, disordered eatings love that. So we're, the more we can speak on it, the more we can share experiences, the more we can talk about it. We can like just free up that grief and that, you know, fear and that the shame that we can carry. So I think that's, it's talking is, is so great. So thank you for, for having me on and, you know, doing these podcasts because it's so helpful that I'm sure people who are listening to hear other people probably have the kind of similar experiences, maybe thought the same things that you've thought, you know, it really does help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important to share our experiences because, you know, when I was just constantly thinking about food and exercise and calories in and calories out, mm -hmm. I was miserable. And like, I'm somebody who has like pretty low energy chronically. Um, and so it was like that was just using brain power that I couldn't focus elsewhere. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like once you release that, you're like, holy shit, I spent yeah. so much yeah. time thinking about this. Like, I freed up my mind to think about bigger things, which is so important. Let um, in other things that you enjoy doing. And it's not, you know, around food or exercise. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right. Right. And like any now any movement that I do is because it feels good. Yeah. Like I have found what works for me. I'm never going to be a runner. I don't like running. <laughs> I know people do and that's fantastic for them. But I, that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not in shape. I like I just spent a week in pole dancing. Like <laughs> it's <laughs> all about like finding what feels right for you. And so I think that's just so important. And I'm glad that uh, people like you are out there making that um, a reality. Yes. Um, so I have one more question for you. Um, how can we find you and support your work? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at find uh, food freedom newbies. Um, you can also find me on um, Facebook too. I have a, a little um, Facebook community for anybody. It's free. So it's intuitive eating newbies. Um, you can come in there and um, I do live trainings and things like that. So you just um, very supportive community. So I'm usually in those two spaces. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for taking the time to come on and talk to us today. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, thank you for having me, Callie. It's so great to hang out with you and talk about these things. Dog TV is on a mission to improve the lives of dogs everywhere with their unique streaming service for dogs to provide entertainment and alleviate stress and anxiety throughout the day. Their science-backed programming features playful animated sequences, dogs, and other animals designed to prevent boredom and provide mental stimulation. This is a great service for pet parents who are beginning to go back into offices and worry about adjusting their furry friends to their absence. Dog TV is available on several devices, including iPhone, Apple TV, Android, Roku, Fire TV, and Xbox One. Click the link in this week's podcast episode description to try Dog TV free for three days. You may choose to continue your subscription for $9.99 a month or save money with a $60 yearly subscription. Thank you for listening to Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like more content from Empowered Authenticity, make sure to follow on Instagram at empowered underscore authenticity. We'll see you next week.